0: There is still quite a large gender gap. If somebody is pregnant, I can't afford to be paying
1: somebody who is on payroll but not in the office. What do I do? We need to stop seeing programmes that are meant to help people to not be hungry. If that's the objective, we need to see those as an investment. In the end, you need to make sure these people are strong enough to get into the labour market, to have the capacity to move out of poverty and basically move the country forward.
0: Well, you want to worry about
1: how you're going to pay for it when people are actually
0: starving? Welcome to the Euphoria Melissa Kini podcast and today we are speaking to Jarud and Adam who are researchers from KRI and they talk to me about wealth inequality, how it makes life tough for the bottom rungs of income in society, and how it affects their education, health, and how difficult it is, and increasingly so, to move up that ladder. Stay tuned. How bad is it? I live in PJ. I don't have a very exposed life. I don't go out to Bahankal and Tandroganu to see what the hell is up. Yeah. And I just want to kind of understand with you guys who have done the math on these kind of things. What do you see?
2: Yeah. Anec- anecdotally we, we definitely hear it, like uh, people with, um, think that um,
0: the the disparity
2: in wealth and income is is huge. But unfortunately like the data we have, you know, this this can't seem to 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 entirely affirm it, but there there are proxies, you know. Um, I mean, because, like, wealth, you know, can be stored in, in it's not this money in your bank account. It, it can be in your assets, uh, um, other, other kind of, uh, like, buildings, you know, that, that, that kind of thing. It's quite, it's quite difficult to, to sort of consolidate and, 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 and figure out, you know, how much everyone, uh, what's their net worth, what's their wealth. Uh, but as, a, as I said, there are proxies. So we've looked at in the past, uh, for example, the um, savings tr- distribution of uh, EPF and ASB. Go back to EPF, Um, we found that uh, back in 2014, like this was the data we had. Um, It's about 1.6 times more unequal than the inequality of household income, 1.6 times more. Um, And ASB, is, in the meantime, is twice as more unequal than household income. And this is actually just for people who have ASB and EPF. And as we know, not everyone, has EPF and ESP. So I guess if you look at everyone, whether or not they have EPF or ESB, the, the, the number would be so much more uh, higher.
0: So you're, you're saying that it's extremely difficult to measure how yeah. much rich people have, yeah. and it's very difficult to find the poor people who don't declare their income and don't have retirement savings in EPF and ESB. Right? Is that is that the gist of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Like as you, as you alluded to, income alone for the, the 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 super rich and and the bottom is is quite hard to to measure. Uh, want more wealth? You know?
0: Yeah. And then there's yeah there's liquid assets, and then there are, you know, rich people, They're the most mobile segment of the population in the entire world. Yeah. If I wanna take my money and put it in the Cayman Islands, yeah, it's no problem. Yep. Right, If I want to put it in one Or to run away from tax Or, or whatever yeah. You know I, A lot of ways that this can be done That mm-hmm. cannot be detected And I'm assuming rich people like their privacy They don't want their net worth mm-hmm. Kind
1: of splayed all over the place I mean I'm sure they don't want to get taxed more And you know basically show off their wealth And yeah, just, yeah, that's the thing. make themselves vulnerable To more regulations So it makes sense in that sense Yeah, definitely. And we're not here to bash rich people.
0: We're here to kind of highlight the inequality between them and maybe the lower echelons of income in society. Mm -hmm. So maybe you can speak a little bit about the fact that, I don't know, it's extremely difficult to bridge that gap today. If I was poor, right, how difficult is it for me to move from a lower income to, from poverty to low income to low income
1: to to middle middle to high? Okay. So I think... uh so what you're referring to is basically what we call social mobility yes. which is basically you moving from whatever rank or position that you are in based on socioeconomic. so it can be based on your education but usually people look at income um, and then see in 10 years time 20 years time where, where will you be at so Malaysia to my knowledge the only uh, nationwide study that was conducted was actually done by KRI um, and what we found we used a sample of children who were born during the New uh, economic policy area meaning children born in the 80s uh, with parents born in the 60s and what we found is that social mobility seems to be very good at least for, the, for that specific cohort and then we look at what are the drivers of social mobility and w- w- when I say good it means that if you are born in let's say the lowest income quintile, you are at the bottom 20% what are the chances of you moving to the top 20% it is possible there are stories there are, and there, there, there are numbers and there are also qualitative stories it is possible for that cohort, I think the question that you're asking now is probably more today. Today, And today, I can't say conclusively, but the story that you hear, especially when you think about the drivers of social mobility, you need to understand what pushes people to move up the income ladder, the socioeconomic ladder. The most important one is usually education. So are educational opportunities available for everyone? And when we say about educational opportunities, it doesn't necessarily mean you can go to school because a majority of malaysian children actually go to at least primary schooling for secondary schooling it's still not compulsory but a large population still goes to secondary schooling we're talking about quality education especially now during covid a lot of people actually are learning in you know the, the learning ways are disrupted now we're trying to learn through you know uh, distant uh, what you what call it using digital technologies not many people have access to that so if that Um, pathway to move up the income ladder is disrupted, then we need to see who is benefiting from it and who is not benefiting from it. So that sort of tells us about what's the story of social mobility today? It's not as good as before, I suspect. And
0: the problem is that a lot of this data won't be available
1: until 20 years from now, right? If we (laughs) were to conclusively, Say that, yeah. Then you have to see what happens yeah. in 20 years, but you don't want to do that, right? Yeah, if you want to forecast something, you have to make
0: estimates. And yeah. So your estimate is that, anecdotally, a lot of people are finding it more harder and harder to move up the ladder. Exactly. Give you a statistic that I think I read in one of your reports. Mm-hmm. And I'm citing the reports because I'm trying to emphasize how dif- how important these, this amount of research that you guys are doing is. You said that education, in some instances,
1: widens the inequality gap. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that? I think you're referring to a, a, an article I wrote which is basically related to meritocracy. Maybe I'm wrong. but Yes, no, it's correct. Yeah. <laughs> but in some instances. Argu- yeah. yeah. One of the arguments that I was making is that a lot of the times we reward people based on hard work. How we sort of uh, rate hard work is based on achievements. So student meaning if we, in the Malaysian setting that we'll be looking at SPM, how many A's do you have? I don't know what is, what is it. Is it A plus now or A one now? How many A's you have? And then, based on how many E's you have, you would, would award that student with scholarships and also entrance into public universities, for example. But the question mm-hmm. is, would, it be, would that rule still be applicable to say, uh, without considering the student's socioeconomic background? Because statistically, when you think about it, a lot of people who come from very privileged backgrounds are sort of given, you know, a, a leg up in the competition. They sort of have a starting, uh, basically, have, uh, had a head start in the beginning of their life uh in terms of going to better uh, better kindergarten in terms of better uh, better nutritional values in their foods in terms of better primary schooling and that would matter yeah. that was the point i was making in that paper and how meritocracy can be dangerous if we don't consider the the different starting points between socioeconomic groups
0: yeah i mean to summarize what you were writing in that paper it said that rich people are basically more likely to go to school and therefore have a more likely to have a tertiary education more likely to go to better schools yes right? to better schools as well have Better resources, more likely to be smarter, get those scholarships, right? More likely to have better achievements, yeah. Thank you for summarizing <laughs> it in a much better way than Okay, me. education aside, there's also healthcare, All okay. right? Can you
1: give me an overarching view of that? Rather than looking at the healthcare, let's look at the health outcomes of Malaysians. So we always focus on health, uh, income inequalities. We look at people at like the B20, B40, M40, T20, but but other than income inequality, there's also health inequality, for example. And that's very famous, actually, all around the world. In Malaysian case, uh, we actually recently did a study looking at health inequalities in Malaysia. And what we did is MOH actually conducts a survey called the National Health and Mobility Service. And what they ask is basically, you know, they test your, uh, you know, your blood glucose level, your carbohydrate levels, and those would give indicators of your health status, whether you have high carbohydrate levels, whether you're, you know, you're possibly diabetic. And what they found is that there's a social gradient in health, meaning that usually the rate is much worse for those in the bottom income groups. It gets better, 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 and it's usually the lowest in the highest income groups. So that shows a form of health inequalities that is, that is um, evident in the Malaysian population. So you're saying like diabetes, hypertension, things like that are more prominent
0: in poorer people?
1: Even mental health problems. So it's not just physical, it's also mental health issues.
0: And that's extremely important also because young people in general, if you're poor, you have depression (laughs) a a, a lot of the time. When money is a problem, like depression is prominent. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, I'm broke. (laughs) (laughs) All of us are. (laughs) Oh yeah, (laughs) we're like, how old are you guys anyway? Right? I wanted you guys because I saw your profile pictures, and you guys are young. It's younger than the average researcher, I'm assuming. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, how old are you? I'm 25. I'm 29. 29.
2: Yeah.
0: So I'm smack in the center. I'm 27. You guys do wealth inequality lady.
1: What else do you do? So we also try to look at, say, this isn't something that we do, but there are researchers who also look at important sectors of the economy. So Dr. Sarina, for example, writes on agriculture with a few other researchers in the institute. Uh, we also have a sociologist, uh, Dr. Rachel Gong, who is looking into the digital, digitalization uh, of, of the economy in Malaysia. So those we basically try to identify press, pressing issues for the nation and that basically requires us to understand you know what are issues affecting how school may be in Malaysia. And we start off from there, we identify the gaps that you know, we see in the re- literature and then we see how can we fill in these gaps. You spoke about gender.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: What are the prominent issues when it comes to gender inequality?
2: Um, Normally, uh, if you look at the, the sort of economic lens, you look at labor force participation, we see that there is still quite a large gender gap. So our gender gap, like looking at the difference between ma- male labor force participation and female labor force participation, it's about like 20 percentage points. And that's quite, we're, we're quite among the largest uh internationally and if you look at deeper you can see that there's sort of a um, a drop off like sort of around the childbearing uh years and then if you look at uh, another statistic uh the reasons why why women leave the labor force uh the number one reason is because of housework and and so it, it shows uh, that you know housework is still a large uh, obstacle for, for women joining uh, the labor force. And even, even then, if, if women do join the labor force, uh, the statistics do show that uh, a lot of times it's it's in work like self-employed work. And this can be quite, quite problematic because self-employment, um, it tends to be, I mean, on one side, it's it's more flexible. Mm. Uh, it, it can help them cater to their... their uh childcare needs, but then at the other end it's a lot less stable. You, you know your income is, is is not uh stable, you don't have social protection, you don't you don't get your EPF uh, contribution from an employer because you don't you, you don't really have an employer.
0: Whenever I hired a girl, I was kinda of scared. So something that we all have to think about. We're not a big company. We have cash flow issues, uh we were profitable, but the thing is you don't always have that padding of bank amount. In order to pay people, if somebody is pregnant, right, I would not be able to fire them, or rather, I wouldn't have the heart to fire somebody, mm. right, to if they were pregnant. But the, at the same time, I can't afford to be paying somebody who is on payroll but not in the office. What do I do? Yeah, um, that totally
2: makes sense. Um, some countries actually, uh, when it comes to paid maternity, leave, it's actually on the on the on the owners of the the government to, to provide the wages. We sort of we sort of see it this way. Uh, employers are dis- incentivized to, to hire women because they see that men they're not entitled to, to paternity leave. But if if, if men, for example, they, they they are entitled to paternity leave, this sort of incentive to 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 not hire women is sort of removes But that
0: doesn't remove the the, no, the no. financial burden from the employer. That means I would have to pay both fathers and mothers paternity yeah. or maternity leave. So you say the onus is on the government.
2: Yeah, yeah. Some countries they they sort of combine um, employer liability and government liability, um, uh, especially as they as they develop and what, introduce these, these um, What would you advocate? Tying it to um, the the currently we have the the unemployment insurance system. So if you're unemployed, you get unemployment benefits and a job search allowance. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yes. So we can sort of implement a similar kind of concept for men if they go for the uh, paternity leave in the sense that they they become unemployed
0: and they get that.
2: So that's that's one thing that we were thinking of uh, suggesting.
0: Yeah, so to basically dog. like Sokso, if yeah, somebody yeah. gets pregnant or uh, then the both the father and mother yeah. will be able to draw from EIS in order to take maybe two months off, three months off, something yeah. along those lines. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. So yes, yeah, as you know, um, employers and employees they they contribute. So there there is a fund, and currently the the fund might be small, but um, moving forward, um, I mean the government could could top it up. But there the, there is a pool of fund that you know that the employer could tap into mm. uh, to sort of help fund, uh, which this. is under POKESO,
0: right? Yeah,
2: so also. Which is
0: a larger fund in and of itself. Is it possible to draw from one fund across?
2: I'm not sure entirely. Uh, I think there there are certain um, rules written in the law that that says you cannot, you know, simply
0: yeah um, uh, their their investments the investment statement or something like that. Or yeah, their policy. Yeah. yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm not sure, but
2: oh, if somebody
0: wanted to change that law, they yeah. probably could. Yeah,
2: they, they 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 totally could.
0: Yeah, yeah. So if you were in power today, let's say if you were a policy maker maker and you would be able to snap your fingers, right, Jared? What would you do? to remove a little bit of inequality from the system, whether it be gender, education, health. Is there something off the top of your head that you would immediately gravitate to? Uh,
1: for me, um, I have a soft spot for one, <laughs> one particular group, and that's particularly for children. Um, I think, uh, it, uh, it, correct me if I'm wrong, Adam, um, in terms of legislative uh, you know, provisions for family and child benefits, there is no legislative uh, benefits specifically for children. For example, like uh, child benefits we have things like bantuan bantuan kreatif nasional but that's really discretionary and dependent on the context it's context specific when grim happened it was because of um, the rationalization of fuel subsidies and now there's bpn because of covid and those indirectly assist to uh, assist children but they don't actually have the objective of directly as, directly assisting children um and it's important for us to consider the well-being of our kids because they're basically our future and uh, a lot of studies have shown that, you know, if, you know, the first 1,000 days between consumption to two years old, you know, you, get, you have to get to get this right in terms of, you know, uh exclusive breastfeeding, in terms of ensuring that they are given proper meals and nutrition, and then uh up all the way up to, you know, uh, adolescent. And I think it's important for us to consider to create a policy which would give families enough income security to invest in their children. And, uh... Uh, one model is what we call universal child benefits. Universal meaning all kids. Child benefits meaning it's a regular payment. Regular like UBI, monthly. yeah. But for children, but for children specifically for children, yeah.
0: So another part of your research involved the fact that Indian kids are apparently 0.4 times less likely to have a tertiary education compared to Chinese kids. Why the? Heck? Why is that? Uh,
1: I think this is referring to the social mobility study again that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think we have to remember the context that the sample was growing up in, which is the NEP era, uh, era, which is an era focused a lot on affirmative action, which obviously benefits certain communities much more than other communities, and it was very defined based on ethnic lines. Um, I don't have a perfect answer for that, but what I, from my personal observation, not care I, it might be you know, uh, sort of. Uh, a side effect of a policy which meant to alleviate inequality by focusing on specific groups and sort of leaving out another group and in this case it might be the Indians
0: yeah, so that's the thing with you fellas from Kazana huh? you and Nick were distancing your opinions from Kazana but yeah it's important <laughs> but no let
2: me just add to that because yeah. in, in KRI there's not always a house view yeah. a lot of times we have differences in opinions and we, we debate and we, we don't always yeah, so sometimes I think it's just quite important that, you know, to say that this is our view Your are individuals, <laughs> not
0: robots, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's the point wait, of wait, our, wait. we're not slaves too right? <laughs> But arguably the NEP in and of itself yeah. did eradicate poverty It brought it down from like 15, 50% to 14.5% or something like that Would you yeah. say that is a
1: success? In, if you're looking at those numbers, you're looking at poverty rate, you're looking at Gini coefficient, then it is a success in my opinion.
2: Yeah, but, I, I think um, the NEP was sort of a paradigm shift because if you look at prior to that, the, the sort of the model or the, the growth model was very like laissez-faire. I mean, you just... Uh, if you're grow, a farmer, you're a farmer. Yeah, you grow the economy and, and this hope that you know it trickles down. And so the the, the NEP was sort of a paradigm shift in that the, the, the goal then was to sort of
0: grow with equity. Yeah, because yeah. it's a bit of a pain in the ass to talk about the two prongs, which is one, racial inequality. I'm not even going to touch there. And then you have the um, elimination of poverty. Hmm. And when you talk about wealth inequality, right, it, it's, a, it's an extremely difficult subject to talk about because it's very hard to explain without alienating rich people. Do you feel like at this point in time, there's a lot of, you know, eat the rich going around? Do you feel like that's justified? Uh, The the demonization of rich people,
1: would you say? Okay, um, I think we need to be clear on what type of inequality are we trying to demonize here. Mm. We have to attack some form of inequality. We have to reward abilities. We have to reward natural talent. What we don't want to reward is rent-seeking behaviors. We do not want to reward You know, people using their privileges and their positions for their own benefit at the expense of the
2: people and labor, you know, exploiting their hard earned hours and, you know, not giving them a fair, fair wage.
0: Yeah. Take this the poorest lower rungs of society today have a better life than the upper rungs of society 40 years ago, would you say?
2: yeah by some measure I mean they, they they get access to things like I don't know electronics mm, um, yeah. by 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 that by air that. conditioner,
0: people have aircon living yeah um, transportation, buses, you know yes. food is uh, readily available. Is wealth disparity just a byproduct of yeah. people just society growing is it just inevitable?
2: But I think since we talked about the NEPs, um, it, it kind of showed because I think in the earliest of, of Malaysia, post-independence, we did manage to grow our economy, and that was despite. The NEP when you know they had this sort of objective of growing with disparity and it kind of showed that you know there, there is now it doesn't have to be a trade-off with um, you know growth and inequality you, you can you can have you know lower inequality and still have good growth yeah with that said, we shouldn't always obsess with you know having a low number for inequality because so especially recently our our you know inequality has has reduced but um behind that what well, what happened to it is, I mean, we were also receiving a lot more slower growth. So we, we might want to sort of, you know, find new new, new growth areas. And, and in the meantime, we, we might want to sort of accept greater inequality.
0: When you think about government
1: policy, what could be done today to solve some of these issues? I think one way is um, looking at the well being of who is going to, who is basically going to take the helm in the future. And that's our children. You know, are, are enough done to make sure that our children are well off and are, you know, growing up in a conducive environment. Um, and that's, uh, and that's a very, very broad subject area that you need to look into. You need, need to look into their education. You need to look into their healthcare, but also you need to look into their income security. In terms of education, at least that's public, edu- uh, public, the public education system. In terms of healthcare, that's the public healthcare system. Income security, they are programs under Jabatan Kebajikan Masyarakat, for example. They are Bantuan Kanak-Kanak there's Bantuan Sarahiduk but Bantuan hidup uh, and in the press BRIM and now BPN those are more discretionary and they're not necessarily targeted for children um, i would say that i if i was in you know a position of power i would probably want want us to look into the implementation of a universal child benefit which basically means we are targeting every child born in Malaysia and ensuring that they are captured in a social security in our social security system and given funds to make sure that you know the, the caregiver has the capacity to make sure that um, at least their essentials are taken care of. And this isn't something countries like Mongolia, for example, has done it. Um, I think Joe Biden has also been considering introducing some sort of child benefits in the US. And actually, Joe Biden is seemingly trying to increase more social spending mm-hmm. overall. Um, but for me, personally, I think we should really think about implementing policies that will benefit all children in Malaysia and why I say all is because when we talk about targeting there's a tendency for us to to leave out certain populations even in the bottom income group because when we talk about the poor there's many people who are not in the tax system who are in very very secluded areas who may not even have the capacity to travel to I don't know LHDN to provide the documentation that that they need to uh, submit who might not have mobile phones to to register themselves in whatever sense you know so that's what universality would sort of accomplish ensuring that all of these people are captured i had
0: this conversation with nick actually uh he was talking about whether or not we should be thinking about the debt because a lot of this will take a lot of money it's what you're talking about is helicopter money br1m essentially is an allowance for every Malaysian. he was talking about universal basic income and i brought it up uh, okay how do we pay for it and his point was that well, you want to worry about? How are you going to pay for it when people are actually starving in co- during COVID anyway? Yeah. It's not like we're going to break the bank. We're not going to have hyper- hyperinflation. We might have, uh, we can afford a slightly higher debt to GDP ratio. Okay. And people who are warning about inflation are overblowing
1: it slightly. Do you agree with that assessment? Um, I agree that we need to stop seeing programs that are meant to help people to not be hungry. You know, if that's the objective, we need to see those as an investment. In yeah. the end, you need to make sure these people are, strong enough to get into the labor market to have the capacity to move out of poverty and basically move the country forward Mm. so rather than seeing it as you know increasing our debt increasing our burden see it as an investment and it's gonna pay off in the long run um so i do sort of agree with nick actually in that sense Mm. um in terms of actually financing it there's actually a lot of ways I think one way is a that, that sex- taxation system. Maybe Adam can add this a bit more later. Um, so
0: rich people pay more money. Is what you think?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's that's. I think that's quite um, well understood. But I think the second a second method is is to really look at what kind of um, existing schemes you have, and really assess you know how how helpful they are. Because I, I think that the, the current thinking with a lot of social protection schemes, um, especially those that, that involve transfers, they're very targeted to those who we consider deserving, but in that process, there's a lot of administrative burden. Um, uh, there's a lot of work, you know, in trying to verify their, their, you know, their need and whatnot. And then a lot, a lot of times, the these programs, there, they there are a lot of them, and then they're also very narrow and focused. But if we, if we somehow try to consolidate everything and and sort of shift towards them, something that's a bit more universal, I think I think it really. Makes things a lot more simpler, and there are sort of some savings of that there in as well.
0: So you're trying to transfer money, but the verification process as to who deserves it and who doesn't is actually very difficult to track. Like is what you're saying. A lot of people don't have social EPF, don't have income tax filings. It's very difficult to find these people. So you're saying just give the money out to every single person and think about the repercussions later because of the fact that you know people are starving. You can't think about being a doctor when you're you are thinking about where your next teaching fund is going to come from, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I see the point there. Thanks for coming on today, guys. Thanks for making it to the very end, guys. We really appreciate it. And we would appreciate it even more if you gave us a follow on Spotify. Another thing that you should be doing is subscribing to us on our websites. Thanks.